SEO Steve, you're back. Thanks for coming back on. What's up, my friend? Good to see you again. Good to see you too. You're on podcast episode 136. This is around 230, this podcast episode. Uh, So it's been almost two years because we released one. Where do we find the time? Uh, That's amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) So much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. There's so much to dig into today. And I typically our podcasts are around the half an hour range and we've booked out, we've got an hour and uh, I did just get some feedback from some people saying that they want to know that they get to the end of the podcast episode and they're like, damn, like, let's, let's get a bit more, there's more that we could have covered. So uh, let's try and cover it all today. First and foremost, let's do it. This, this fear that has set in across the industry around AI. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good for us to just bring it up and talk about why we shouldn't be frantic around these AI changes and SEO. But where where are you at? Yeah. Like, I've just let's just start this at a complete, open, clean slate. Like, how do you think? How do you when people talk to you about AI? Like, what are the what's your feelings and what are you what are you normally speaking to them about? Like oh AI? man, I'm so excited! Like, yeah, I'm, cool. I'm 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 kind of a nerd, right? I I, I love any kind of change that transcends an industry. And um, I, I know there's there's a lot we'll talk about with with concerns mm-hmm. and what do we worry about and but but as as somebody who's basically I've, I've built my my career and my life off of helping businesses to appear. Um, as often as possible for the right search terms to attract their target audiences. So, you know, with with everything happening in in the AI world and being able to automate a lot of things that that used to take human manpower and critical thinking skills and research skills, and now being able to create prompts to to automate a lot of that is really exciting stuff. I, I you have two perspectives you can have, right? So you can have this fear mentality of oh my God, the sky is falling and panic and find a career that's less stressful, or you can embrace it and fall in love with it and master it and, and really, really kick the tires and enjoy the process. And if that even then at the end of the process, you still don't find yourself on the other side and, and doing well, you know, that's, that's when you sit down and, and start to decide, Hey, maybe, maybe it's time to look at something else, but you don't do it out the gate. You do it after you've embraced the change and done what you can to adapt to that change before you start hitting the panic button. And, you know, it's uh, in, in many ways, it's a sign of character, right? What kind of character do you have? Do you mm-hmm. have a, you know, the, the fear mentality or the, you know, opportunity mentality? And right now, my, my perspective is this is all really new and exciting, but that doesn't change, you know, my, my clients need to show up in search results. It doesn't change the restaurant chain's um, need to scale to appear when their users or customers are searching for a burger restaurant near them. That's not going to change. What's going to change is our process and how we adapt to the way that people are going to search now, thanks to AI and you know the what under two hundred or so developers that are working on Google's new search engine. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. Um, I don't think I'm nervous, but I think um, I think that might happen at some point when the new search engine launches. But you're going to find me red-eyed after a few days of, of really kicking the tires yeah. to see what you know what shows up and trying to understand why what's showing up is showing up. But um, but my pulse is I'm excited. I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of really interesting things that are going to happen. With I love it. that you said that. The only one thing that's constant 
is change, right? And if you think yeah. about your career in the SEO industry, it's always change, ever evolving. And oh, if yeah. you're going to hold on to like, oh, it's changed, what am I going to do now and the fear around it, you're just going to have a really tough time having a full career in SEO or in an online in oh. online business in general, really, because the only thing that's constant is change. And I think where people get really worried is that something comes out and it gets floated and then like, oh, no, we thought we had a set and forget approach. When reality is like yeah. it's always constant change. Not this industry. Yeah, yeah for sure. Industry. You know, SEOs who are listening to this, if you're an SEO practitioner and, and you have this kind of fear about, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Now is the time to make sure your certifications in ads are up to date because the one way you're still going to be able to see success as you're learning the new search ecosystem is through paid mm-hmm. ads. So you might have to take on some paid search clients for a little while until you've you've really cracked the code with how to make sure that your clients are doing what they can in organic search. So that would be something that I would do to give yourself a little peace of mind that you've got some some financial stability as search evolves more than it has since you know the the first search engine displayed blue text or blue links and black text. Yeah. So um, that's something that you could do if you're in that kind of mode of, oh my God, what am I going to do? Just make sure you're up to date on all the new cool things that you can do in paid search. It's a completely different Google ads than you know what it was when it was Google AdWords. It's completely different from 20 years ago when there was you know uh, Overture and Yahoo ads. And learn it with a, with a clean um, slate, with, a, with an open mind, as if this was a brand new way to advertise. Mm-hmm. Don't think with the old mentality of keywords. Go into it like a beginner. And I, I think you'll you'll enjoy all the cool things that you can do now, and performance max, and neat little ways that you can you can use audiences. So I would I would make sure that on the paid side of search that you're up to speed. Start your own campaign for your own brand, um, so that you get acclimated to all the different ways that you can you can create campaigns, and um, you'll have a way to to sort of survive through the change uh, until you've mastered um, as uh, an SEO in the. AI SEO world. Yeah, and especially for non-SEOs that do that are listening to this that own their own online businesses that get majority of their traffic from search. The reason that they would be worried is because they don't know how to operate in the new landscape that is coming. But the reality is if you're an adaptable business owner, you're going to change anyway because you have to adapt it. And you are in the same, literally the same seat as everybody else that needs to learn it as well. So there's nobody that really has more advantage than you anyway, because you're hearing it about at the same time and you get to use it at the same time. If anything, it's a bit more exciting that you could be on the more cutting edge than people that are less adaptable, right? Right. Do you know the first thing I asked Bard was when I got access to it? I said, Bard... Tell me how I would, as a client, I would want to, how I would rank my website in your search results. <laughs> Are links still important, you know, to show up in Bard? I started, started basically asking it algorithm questions and Bard was happy to share answers. And that would be the place I would start right now is go to Bard yeah. and start asking those questions about the algorithm, how important links are, what are some ways I would show up, ask specific prompts because the, the search engine engineers haven't gone into Bard to exclude answers to questions about how its algorithm works. So have some fun, ask questions, and Bard will tell you everything it knows. It's really, 
not that complicated. And you're going to find that the, the, the change really isn't that significant. The principles are still the same. Have helpful, relevant, user-friendly content that's original, mm-hmm. right? Don't just be unoriginal by taking AI and just dropping it on your page. <laughs> you know, come up with helpful examples and videos and pictures and things. Mm. Um, make sure that you're still earning links you know, from other websites, because those are still going to be important. There's still going to be a Google bot crawling the web, you know, to look for new content um, and make sure that when people do find your results in search, that your results are the most helpful, the most compelling, um, maybe the most entertaining in some cases, so that you're always the one that gets selected. And when the question comes up of, was this a helpful result, that users will always say, yes, this was a very helpful result. So pay attention to search experience, pay attention to off-page SEO signals, and continue to make sure that your pages are performing better and better and better every month, not just by bounce rates, but by conversion rates and by you know uh, the things that you, you pay attention to and how users interact with your content. As long as you're doing those three things and doing better at them every month, whether it's Bard or Bing Chat or whatever it happens to be, you're still going to be there. You're still going to be prominent. They're still going to see you as being a helpful result. And you won't have to worry about these changes. It's when you're complacent and you rest on your laurels and, you know, and, and have that kind of fear mentality that uh, things start to fall apart. It's the same right now and the same as what it was five years ago and 10 years yeah. ago for a business or a blog that creates content. You just need to continue to create helpful content. It's does that hasn't really changed. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. And, and and I feel like it's a cliche and it's exhausting to a lot of SEOs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I can't just put content up and it'll just suddenly rank. You're you're right, it won't. You have to make sure you're using internal links to show the search engines that those pages are important. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure your brand is mentioned, you know, in conjunction with those keywords on other websites so that the co-occurrence of your name and the brand are prominent. You have to do offline advertising so that people are searching for you by name and including sometimes the keywords that you want to be semantic mm-hmm. for. You know, there's there's a lot of things that, that search engines are going to pay attention to. And as long as you're addressing all of those different areas, even just a little bit every month, you're going to be okay. You're going to you're going to get through. And in a year from now, you're going to be like, I'm glad we kept paying attention to those things every month while our, our competitors decided to try some shady things to game the new search results. You know, we did what Jim Rohn said. We do, you know, ordinary things extraordinarily well, you know, and, and that's all it really takes. That's all it really takes is, is learning how and everybody listening should know how to be a better business partner with Google or the search engine to give them what it, give the search engine what it wants. And if you give them what it wants, yep. you're going to give the users what it wants and everybody's going to win rather than playing a game against your business partner. Imagine how far, how long your your relationship with your business partner would last, just as long as the next Google update if you're playing games. <laughs> you know, seven, 17 years ago, I was challenged with the task of ranking for the keyword SEO expert by my boss. Mm. And it was to show him that I, I understood search well enough that I could... I could reasonably give enough confidence to the folks at Disney Parks and Resorts that my SEO skills were, were going to increase non-branded search results. And, you know, the, the funny thing was at the time, you know, no one was really searching for SEO expert. It wasn't that challenging of a keyword, you know, to try to rank for. And I held it for some 12 years before, you know, my peers said, hey, you know, the reason you're not getting invited to events is they think you're bragging about being SEO expert. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I kind of have to get people to search for me and and use that phrase 
for me to, to be able to hold that position. And so eventually I said, you know what, I, I need to be a better part of my community. Mm. And I just killed the page altogether. Mm. Um, and it was so worth it because I have so many great relationships now because now that the stigma of he thinks he's number one for SEO expert because he ranks number one for SEO experts gone. What I would want to rank for now if I were, um, you know, pivoting into the new world of chat and AI and large language uh, models is I, I would I would work on trying to rank for the keyword um, prompt expert. Yeah chat prompt expert you want to be a number one prompt expert in in today's world of search that's mm. that's what i would try to rank for and then i would practice what i i preach and become a prompt expert mm. study it and and learn it and look at all the different examples people are using create chrome extensions with some of the prompts that you want to test with and templates you want to use and just just master it you know to get some coffee stay up to one in the morning you know for two or three weeks until you're just exhausted to death and then give yourself a few days break and take a vacation, but become a prompt master and and you'll have confidence that you'll be able to leverage the right prompts to create the right uh, contents and SEO and, um, and and other roadmaps to, to really you know, use prompts as the catalyst to becoming better at what you do and not, not what's going to replace your job, but what you're going to be using to improve your marketability in the market in the marketplace. <sighs> Mic drop. So, like, I think, well, it's not that I think, but I know that that's just so damn juicy because that that is a philosophy that goes across all verticals of all life, prompting. Yeah. If you think about what Tony Robbins says, he says, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. And I love it. I knew this when I started using Google to try and find answers. If I worked out, the more specific and the better the question it was, I would get a better answer. And that people already know that without even being business owners, oh, yeah. right? So it's already, if you adopt that philosophy that you should have in life, adopt it to using these chats uh, and these AI softwares, you're going to get far better results in and out of your life, right? Absolutely. And you, and you can have fun with it. Remember the movie Patch Adams with Rob yes. Williams? Do you know how he was able to get through college yes. is he had to make it fun and funny. And so one of the things that that I did is part of part of the, the thing I do in my career is I do some public speaking and some event coordinators will call me and say, hey, we've got a we've got a room full of private investigators that want to um, understand different ways that they can search Google to find information about people they're looking for or things or facts and stuff that they're looking for. And I'm like, well, how do I make that fun? Am I just going to do a bunch of slides with search operators on it? And so what I ended up doing is I found a story. And I said, here's a story. Um, Rowan Atkinson was, um, you know, he was he was in an interview and he got offended by a question that somebody asked and he left and he disappeared. Now, our job as the private investigator is to use Google search operators to find one, if, if the information was true that he was, you know, being accused of in the interview, and two, to find out where he is so that we can interview him ourselves and find out, you know, from the source what was going on. And so I used those different slides as I talked through the search operators, and I went through every single search operator that you could use, and I included these funny stories and memes of Rowan Atkinson, you know, Mr. Bean, and it was the funniest, coolest, neat um, laughable presentation that kept people engaged because they didn't know what Mr. Bean was going to mm -hmm. do next. But they also learned by using some of those search operators that were introduced in those slides. And some of them were were shockers. Like I was able to do a, um, you know, an in URL search for .gov. 
And then in quotes, I put not for public distribution. And I showed them all sorts of nuclear content that was not supposed to be in search results. But because the folks that were putting the information on the website didn't realize that that website was getting crawled and indexed because they didn't understand search, all they understood was I put a piece of content on a website um, that was public you know, to the world and to the private investigators like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so sometimes it, it, it becomes something that's, that's not just funny and amusing, but in some cases, you know, shock and awe. But that's, that's my advice is create a story, create a mm. fun, engaging, goofy thing that you use and then explore every possible way that you can get to that endpoint using, you know, the, the different ways that we can search now. Yeah, and prompt engineering is going to help you get better stories. Last week, I decided, all right, I want to, and I've told this story before to, to a bunch of clients that I wanted to use the, you know, chat GPT to help me write some content, some emails. I use my email, uh, like my email for, for Bob, like my, like somebody would use Instagram because I don't really use Instagram that much. And I put videos, well, not so much videos anymore, but like images and GIFs and stories about crazy stuff that happens in my life. Like shark attacks, um, crashes, all these different random things, you know, falling down the Great Wall of China and, and, and some and some wild stories that I tie back into business and philosophies. And the way I tell the stories is it's very it's very junky. Like I start the story in media res, like I start it like a James Bond movie in the middle of the action, nice. thick of it, get the people's attention and then move into different parts and then break it up. And then give them the backstory. Yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah afterwards, That's right? Awesome. So I understand copy and I understand engagement and all that sort of stuff. Trying to get ChatGPT to do that is very hard if you don't understand prompt engineering and you still need to put your spin on it. Like these AI tools are great because it can. I think it helps prevent writer's block. That's the way I feel it's like one of the best, best things. Sure. Uh, but then still taking it and putting the human element on it because – the human element is not let, not yet replicable, I believe, in a way that cr creates connection and awe and shock and stuff like that that you can do through your content. Um, and AI can't display video interviews of your customers talking about you or before and after pictures of, of you know, what you did for a, a client or a customer. It can't. Yeah. Um, it, it can't really enhance your branding visually and what the experience is when they when they visit your page mm. versus just giving you a lot of text and maybe some ideas or or video scripts to use to help build that and it it's um it can you can actually say uh, read this article and then write a page with the same voice you know i know you can actually have yeah. it create a, a page using your writing style uh, but then again you'd want to go back through and and you know, really look at is this is this the message I'm trying to convey to my customer? Um, and yeah, you can go back in and say, yeah, you didn't really hit it on the nail. Make it more compelling. Be more empathetic. Be more, and you can you can guide it to the place that you want it to get to. And then you're still going to read it and feel ucky and mm -hmm. be like, I don't know if this is really authentic. Let me let me draw some inspiration from what it's saying and kind of put it in my own words. Read it maybe two or three times and then close it and then write your own you know, with, with your own voice and then go back in and say, edit this and remove any typos yeah. and bre and brevity and um, anything that's, that it feels misleading or confusing. 
And then you'll see the output of that and go, okay, they just took my page and made it so much better. And I took their ideas and incorporated it into what became, you know, my ultimate paper. So there's, there's ways that, you know, machine works with human who works with machine who uh, eventually um, has, you know, human write the final page. So I think, I think there's a lot of that collaboration that can happen between us and, and these large language models to create amazing stuff. We don't have to feel like if I use it, I'm cheating. No, use it. I use it. I, I wrote, um, I don't know, some 30 meta descriptions for a, a healthcare client over the weekend because we had a team member yeah. out. And I'm like, I got us, you know, I'm always covering for, uh, you know, for our team members. <laughs> and I used ChatGPT to help me write some titles and meta descriptions. And I did end up touching up almost all of them, but I, I wrote the right prompts with, you know, write a compelling, no convincing, write a convincing 160 character meta description um, for this client who offers this service. And, uh, and I put using empathy and making sure that we've addressed the intent of the, the target audience more so um, than the competition. And, you know, it took a few rounds and do it again. Give me another example. Give me another example. Give me another example until it finally got it. And I'm like, this is great. And I let it know this is great. This is what I like. Now do it again for this keyword. Now do it again for this keyword. Mm -hmm. And within a few minutes, I'd literally written some 30 rows of titles and meta descriptions. And again, I did a little bit of my own editing and my own spin on it and making sure the right keyword is used and removing the brand from titles that, you know, waste real estate. Uh, but I got what I wanted out of it, and it looked fantastic. And then we present to the client, and we say, here are some ideas for titles and meta descriptions that you could use. We we encourage you to put your own voice on these, but this will give you some inspiration to to start with. Or if you just want to start with them outright, please at least read them to make sure that you know that they're they're making the right statements and claims and so forth before you just deploy them. Uh, but this could be a good starting point for you. And if they come back later and like, yeah, I'm not really getting the click through rates I want. Great, let's let's run some tests and do a few more. Mm -hmm. Give me five meta descriptions uh, with different call to actions and different value propositions to see what we can do to get our click through rates up. And I'm pretty sure Google's not going to penalize you for doing that, especially if you're getting higher click-through rates and users are getting the content they were looking for. Yeah. By the way, that those meta descriptions have been touched so many times by a human, not just yeah. written, but also consciously thought about like, oh, maybe could we change it this little way? I like I like what you mentioned around Get some, get some good ideas, get it written, get your really good prompt engineering in place. Like there's one really cool prompt that you mentioned, which is um, make this better than or more conveying or more valuable than my competitors. Really, really smart little Absolutely. prompts uh, that I heard when you mentioned that. And then take it away, shut it down, rewrite it in your own words. Okay. Maybe even like... And I, I remember one of my mentors saying, write something one day, come back the next day and edit it because with fresh eyes. Uh, and it. then you you can edit it and then, like you said, put it back in. And mm -hmm. you're right. It's a tool, it's a tool that's like, it's an amazing tool. It's an amazing tool that we should use. And if everybody's using it, why would you not use it? You're not cheating, but you're just getting better and better at your craft. It's like, changing from like a, a hammer with a really small head to a hammer with a massive head, like you, you're going to hit, you're going to hit it more times than not. Yep. And, and again, don't, don't rely on it as an exclusive resource. We had a client that, that did that with a few of their category pages. They just literally went out to chat GPT and they said, rewrite this category to be more helpful and you know, whatever. And they just dropped that content in verbatim and they saw like a 20% drop 
in performance for that page, <laughs> and then you had to revert after a couple of weeks. Like, yeah, don't don't do yeah. that. That's not you know this this isn't a replacement for what we're doing. This is an enhancement Correct. you know to our process to speed things along. And um, you could easily do some keyword research using Google Keyword Planner, free tools or paid tools like SEMrush or Conductor, and then jump back into Bard and ChatGPT and say. Um, help me build a silo of supportive content underneath a taxonomy. I did this for a, a lawyer who works on truck accidents the other day. And I said, uh, build build me a list of, of supportive pages underneath my truck accident lawyer page to provide more helpful information about what to do after a car accident. And it gave me 24 really good topics, mm. um, you know, that, that were great. And they incorporated the keywords, you know, that, that I found from the keyword planner, which took five minutes to pull. Mm. And now I've got you know, so much more supportive content underneath that truck accident lawyer silo that there's no way they're not going to look at that page as being more helpful or more authoritative based on just having that supportive, um, you know, content underneath. Yeah. So super easy to do and took, you know, just a couple minutes. I want to, I want to bring up the detection of AI content with Google or Bard and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of like, I know that when people, uh, looking to buy businesses because that's what we do. We help people buy businesses. Where we're detecting, right. we're looking for AI content. Um, that's too, you know, most of it's written by a, you know, AI generator um, versus it's been touched up and worked with with a human. And then there's also the question around how accurate are those those tools in detecting. And there's also around question around Google yeah the exactly there's there's that and then what how Google will respond to those that type of content that is clearly just written by AI sure. like you said you, you know that person who created those um, category pages just you know they lost a lot of traffic because straight up right. so yeah, what's your thoughts on just two posts yeah right? um, oh, sorry, go, go so ahead. what's your thoughts on on the detection and how I mean, we can only, this This might be speculation. Oh, I'd like to start with the guideline first. Yeah. I think that they put out two posts. One, first one was uh, specifically around the use of AI at scale. Yeah. They said, you know, please don't just use artificial intelligence to, to, you know, deploy thousands of pages of content. They made that blatantly clear they want you to do that. And then a couple of weeks later, they, they did a post that said, we love, um, you know, AI and, and we encourage the use of it. And you could absolutely you know, write content and do things with it. We don't have anything. We're not going to penalize you for mm. that. But they did make it clear in the first statement that if you try to do it at scale as your primary means of, of trying to game search rankings, like, hey, I can I can just create a bunch of keyword rich pages and game the search results. That stopped working in 2011 <laughs> with the, you know, the Panda update, yeah. right? We were just buying content through content selling, yeah. you know, providers. Yeah. And, and some of them were, were, extortioning people for their content at 1.2, if you remember mm-hmm. that, and they got sued mm-hmm. for it. Uh, but um, I agree. I think that's where we start. And then the second point is, is looking at the detection piece. And what was funny to me was when, when I think it was in February, when, when the whole sort of, you know, uh, chat GPT just blew up and hundreds of sites like Jasper's and, and um, you know, similar type products that you can create content now through um, automation mm-hmm just hundreds of them just all over the place and now here in in may right and at the end of april it's hundreds of um ai detection software programs are coming out it's it's so hilarious to watch 
how people try to monetize and capitalize on the changes and trends that are happening in search more than ever because of, of AI. Um, I've been using, and, and this is, we're kind of loyal to them right now, even though there are a lot of these false positive issues, but we've been using originality.ai. Uh, there's also Write, and um, uh, what was uh, the other one that some folks are using? There's, there's a lot of these different tools. There's one that uh, I've, I've been in talks with um, the folks that have originality AI because I teach, and I'd say about 15% of my students now are submitting uh, assignments where it's, it's essay-driven, um, and 15% of them are using AI to do their essays, and I've got to kick them back. And they can't just expel every student that does it. So they've got to figure out a way to manage it right now and from the education side. So I reached out and they said, yeah, there's there's a site with a partner we're working with called past.io or something like that. Past, P-A-S-S-E-D. And they're supposed to be helping teachers you know, to, to see if their students are using AI on their assignments instead of writing them for themselves. <laughs> so my challenge with originality AI was that, yeah, I would get a lot of these weird false positives. Instead of getting red and green, I'm getting weird yellow, even though it's saying 50% AI and 50%, um, you know, uh, original content. And so what I'm, I'm asking students to do, and I, I hate that I have to do this, but I, I have to ask them, you know, please make sure that you've ran your content through an AI um, originality tool, right, or an AI detection tool because I'm using them. And if I see anything that looks suspicious, I'm going to ask you to redo it. And I know in some cases you've written it from scratch and, and you feel like this is unfair and I'm sorry, but this is the changing world of what we're having to work with. And a lot of what I'm looking for is original content. So maybe, maybe you didn't handwrite it, but you didn't put enough effort and creativity into it that these detection tools are finding it to be original content. So really get creative, put your voice on it, get weird, get silly, get um, get funny, get original, yeah. get controversial. Um, that's the way that you're gonna pass these originality tests, these, these uh, AI testing tools is, is by just being real. Yeah. Um, but it sucks, you're right, it's not fair to students, it's not fair to content creators, it's not fair to the folks that that are getting banned from Reddit for for doing original designs in Photoshop that are getting flagged as you know um, you know mind journey stuff right um, so it's it's an unfair world for a lot of creators but you've got to adapt you've got to run your stuff through those tools now to make sure that the world knows that you created it and that might require you thinking a little bit out of the box and changing your original idea of what you wanted to create but that's the way of the world right yeah. now it might change later but if you want to adapt that's what you have to do well it's just i guess that's the good uh, uh, one good thing about ai is it's forcing us as humans to create better content yeah. right like isn't that amazing great. that's what i'm telling you it's an exciting time in our in our world in our industry yeah. um yeah you know? It's really going to challenge us as individuals to be individuals in, in a world that's becoming standardized and unoriginal. Yeah, and bought, yeah exactly. It's, it's so cool. It's so cool. I find it would be hard to get my emails um, detected as AI content in, in, because you, that's right. You, you just got to make it. You got to you got to make your content so damn engaging, so good, so out of the box. Okay. It's really out of the box, isn't it? You know, it's. Because AI is very linear in how it would write a story. If you if you asked right. it to write a story, it'd be like I, I asked when you ask it to write a story, it says once upon a time. Most of the time, if you don't have any good problem <laughs> engineering at the start, it's going to start the story once upon a time. <laughs> 
It's fun though. We we did one where we said Siri and and Alexa are Romeo and Juliet. Rewrite the Romeo and Juliet story where it's Siri and oh. Alexa, and it's it's fun the way that you can play with with the technology to create really kind of kind of neat scenarios, mm-hmm. and then you know have some fun with it. So I I think there's a lot that we can do that um, that is helpful, that is useful, that's that's usable, that that won't affect organic traffic or doesn't have any impact on it, such as using it to help write a resume, using it for content editing. You know, I'm, I'm writing my next book right now. I wrote a, a textbook called SEO strategy and skills, and I didn't have any sort of AI to help. I had to hand write that stuff and get yelled at by an editor, you know, because I'm, I'm not that great of a writer. I'm really good at what I do, but writing hasn't really been a, a thing that I'm a master mm. in. Uh, but now, thanks to, to AI, I can send it through AI tools and say, you know, please give suggestions, feedback, and and editing on this content. Yeah. Um, sort of like the Hemingway app and and Grammarly would do, but uh, also in a way that you know that can help me look a little bit more original and and make sure that I'm explaining things that make mm. sense. So, and AI does a great job of that, and it's still my content. They're just giving me editorial feedback without me having to pay for an editor. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So how Google reacts to all of this is 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 going to be fascinating and I think they're going to yeah. what what they're doing or what they will do my assumption is that they're going to do what's best for a humans because humans are the ones that are using that platform and that's where they make their money from us and our eyeballs looking at ads and whatnot <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so What's interesting is, and I, I feel that when you said, you know, using AI to create content at scale, Google will detect, all right, you've just posted 2,000 articles this week. Um, that's not mm-hmm. natural. I'm, I'm sure there's right. going to be some, this is an assumption by me, that they will penalize a site like that. How else do you see, like, I would like to highlight how else you would believe that Google could, pen, you know, um, penalize people or hurt sites for using ai sure. if they're trying to play a game against their google partner or their partner being google i think we're already yeah we're, i think we're already seeing that yeah. i think with the latest review kind of the review update i don't know what you want to call it but um with their latest updates they're they're really trying to give sites that that have real user feedback and social proof mm-hmm. A little bit more credibility. Mm. We we see that with some of our restaurant chains, where we've got location pages that were appearing pretty prominently, and then after this big update, we're seeing the the delivery service providers and review websites starting to to, to flank us on many queries simply because they have ratings and reviews and unique content that's not static the way that some of our location pages mm. are. So I kind of feel like like how they're going to detect it. Well, we we have to go back to sort of the three basics of SEO, right? Is is our content the most unique, original, and helpful, right? And how do we determine whether it is or not? It's not going to be words and H2 tags and, and keywords tied into paragraphs and entities and topics that we research. Those are going to help us get, um, get indexed and shown for those keywords to see if we're going to be a good search result. But that's not ultimately what's going to keep us sticking at the top of the search results. But that is, that's paramount, right? We're going to do our keyword research. We're going to do our entity analysis. We're going to, you know, think about the ways that we can create the most helpful, unique page. Second, we're going to look at ways that, that we can get other websites to want to share and talk about us and maybe even link to us, hopefully organically, because we've got so much great supportive content underneath that silo below that lower funnel page and upper funnel content that everybody finds to be helpful and linkable and shareable and mentionable. 
Um, and third, we're going to be paying attention to our, our search behavior signals and how people interact with our listings. At the moment, while it's still blue links and black text and, and some image and video carousels, the way that we do that is through using structured markup to mark up our images so they become image thumbnails, to mark up our FAQs so that we get two questions under our results, to mark up our ratings and, and reviews that we're going to be adding to all of our product pages now, especially after this last update, so that we have stars in the search results. Um, it's going to be making sure that our listing is the most compelling that stands out in the search results and gets clicked on. So the way that I think AI plays into that is, is we look at kind of the, the big picture of things is AI is going to give you a base of text, you know, that that um, if you try to scale it across millions of pages, Google is going to see, hey, you've got you've got artificially in, in, intelligent driven language, large language model driven content. But I don't see anything original in that content as it relates to a, a customer testimony, a customer rating, an expert review of the page an image or a video that was created by your company and uploaded that's not already in the binary of my database somewhere. Um, you know, it's not a stock image. It's real helpful, unique information. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see a pattern of over time, more and more websites linking to and sharing and curating and syndicating some of the content that they found or curating that content um, on their own pages over time. I feel like you've just dumped some content on there. Um, I've watched it appear in my search results. I've seen people click it not be very interested in it and come back and choose a final URL that wasn't you. And I'm going to infer that that content wasn't very helpful. This this isn't anything new. Yeah. If, if you had a directory 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you had empty categories where people got to a page because you haven't fully populated your database yet, and you know uh, 900 of your 1,000 pages you deployed were empty, people click back, they choose a different result. And over time, Google says, maybe this website isn't as helpful as I first thought it was because it had all these great URLs with great optimized titles, descriptions, and H1 tags. But eventually it figured out through watching how people interact with that listing in the search results that that website wasn't very helpful. And just like you're seeing in all the posts that people are sharing now is this massive decline. That decline isn't because they're crawling your page and finding that content um, like they warned you about in that initial warning. It's because they're watching the, the user behavior of the user going back and saying, yeah, this obviously wasn't as unique and original and helpful as some of the other pages that have more rich media and more compelling expert review type content. So I think I think that's that's the mindset I'd love to see digital marketers think about as they think about scaling with AI is is that mindset of we're creating a directory with thousands of pages in it. And if every page isn't the most helpful page and the most original and unique and media rich page with all the great markup to help define the meaning of words, you know, like schema.org slash thing, where we talk about this page is about this or it mentions this topic and we refer to Wikipedia and what that is. If we're not considering all those things and we're just deploying at scale, you know, they're going to look at their click through rates and the, and the stay rates of, you know, what happens to users and they're going to go, yeah, overall, this site isn't very helpful. So maybe I'll stop showing it as often in my search results. Mm -hmm. So us as website builders, we stop deploying content at scale and we work on one page at a time to make sure every single page is as amazing and as optimized and as helpful and as expert reviewed and as markup and schema rich as it possibly can be before we move to the next page. And that's the way we've always done things as Whitehead SEOs. Yeah. And that hasn't changed since the directory days. I love it. Absolutely love it. It just comes back to quality over quantity. And when I look at businesses for sale, 
people submit their businesses to us to look at their their due diligence and we review it and i was on a coaching call with somebody just just today and he had a couple of businesses we went and looked at the listings and stuff like that and there was one business that had 800 posts and it had like a domain rating and a domain authority score and it was like around eight. I never look at any of that stuff. Do you really look at all those? Metrics? Yeah, I, I, I look. I look at the met. I, I look at the metrics, and then I tell people to go look at the quality of the content uh, because typically the metrics are going to tell me yeah. what the quality of the content's like anyway. So I look at. I don't know. I feel like I feel like those those metrics can be manipulated quite a bit by SEO. So I I really I I just I use my my intuition when I look at a page and, and I ask is this is this a page that I feel is going to attract links of its own? Is this a page that I feel is really going to attract? quality referral traffic is this a page that's likely to be seen by tens of thousands of people because it's on a, a, a news feed or a, a blog feed on a on a you know really trustworthy domain or is it just some little community submitted forbes subdomain somewhere that someone's selling a link for for 600 <laughs> right so um so for me i'm i'm, I'm a little bit more and and I, I guess i i'm spoiled in that i work with larger brands and get to, to be a little bit more critical you know, whereas smaller brands are more shrapnel and just get whatever you can and sort them out later. That's right? that's where it's at. But, people um, people that are know. people that are start. I'm I'm in a fortunate position as well, where I can afford different size businesses than people starting out. Um, but for people starting out, it's it's definitely a thing. And you know, you've got uh, something that's got a very small level of authority and a lot of lot of content, and it's just like how how is this at all valuable i mean you got 800 800 pieces and you can barely get any traffic so the content sucks it just tells you that the whole site sucks so go for something that's you know then you look at something else that's got like 100 100 pages in its entirety and it's got way more traffic comparing to this other one oh, yeah. um and yeah, it comes back to quality right a really easy thing you could do too is use a service like amazon mechanical turk Take one of your AI created pages, you know, and and ask maybe two hundred users which of these pages is the most mm. helpful. Don't tell them which one's yours, but but give them the URL that ranks number one in the search results and number two in the search results, and then throw years into the mix, and then ask them to look at all three pages and ask which page they would buy from, which page that they would you know want to interact with, which page was the most helpful and why, and then um, the you know one. what what didn't they like about each page. And then go through and, and theme those 200 answers to, you know, and run a pivot table to work, to focus your time on the attributes that, you know, the, the aggregate of your feedback, um, you know, culminated to. I love that process for content creation. Oh, so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so nerdy, but yeah. It's, it's nerdy, but that's what people are doing. That's what we need to do to create awesome value for sure. For the internet, we like these AI tools and the way Google and Bard is heading, it's making the internet better. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's an yeah. awesome thing, really. I, I remember the first time we created a five, about $5,000 page. We were working with an e-commerce brand that specializes in Rolex watches. And it was it was a consignment site and they have to have a balance of buy and sell, right? If, if people aren't um, selling their watches to them, they have nothing to sell back to gotcha. other people. And, and it was fun because when we started, you know, the, the site was just nowhere to be found in search. It was brand new. And it was like, what if one day we could rank on the first page for Rolex watches? Wouldn't that be amazing? And I remember looking at the inbound marketing page at HubSpot as my sort of bar. This is the bar in terms of what great content looks like. It's got a lot of white space. It's simple to use. It's 
got all the different um, uh, processes and it, it kind of has the puzzle pieces that match everything up. And you can go back to archive.org to follow the history of that page in HubSpot. Mm -hmm. Just search for inbound marketing and look at it because that that inspired the Rolex watches page that we created on this website. We we put a very expensive high high definition image as a hero. We introduced video into different tiles on the page and and images and tables of data that had pricing information and lots of, of text in a way that, that flowed well and wasn't just there for SEO. It actually enhanced the page and the experience and the helpfulness of it. And when we got to the first page, I think it took almost three and a half, four years to get there. Um, and it was, again, it was like a $5,000 cost. That page generates millions, millions of dollars of revenue. Mm. And I'm like, you look at the ROI on spending $5,000 for a page that generates millions of dollars of revenue to be number, you know, I think at the time it was like number four, number five for Rolex watches. That's amazing. So I, I don't know. I think, I think you're right. I think if you, if you really, if you really want to make the most out of SEO, spend as much as you can afford to make every page absolutely as original and helpful and unique. Look at the search results, study the pages that already rank, look at the attributes and the focal points and the type of media that's used. Use, you know, a, a GPT uh, for sheets plugin in, in your Google workspace and, and pull in some entities from, you know, from the search results that you want to incorporate into your outline of things that you're going to write about on that page. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a lot that you can do to invest in. Uh, one of our clients is a, a prominent name in housewares, and um, she was she was working on a, a particular product line that was uh, around a type of winter jacket. And we have like eight different documents in the page folder, and they're like, "Look, we just wanted a, an optimized page. What are all these these documents?" Well, one of them is the competitive analysis showing every single page that shows up in the search results and what their snippet looks like on mobile. Since, by the way, eighty percent of your traffic's mobile. Right. And here's what their snippets look like and and how we want to look. And here's a mock up of what we want our snippet to look like if we're going to beat these other guys. Here's the HTML title description. Here's the schema they used. We took all that insight and we started to create an outline of the content that we want to have on the page based on the top performing pages. And then we did a off page plan for this page. Then we did a, a technical plan for the markup that's going to be used and the, the image dimensions and the formats like WebP, the you know, the alt attributes, the file names of images, all of those different technical attributes. Like, wow, this is a lot of work. This took you over two weeks to put together and and it was super expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but now you have the absolute ultimate um, product category for this particular fashion product and it can't be beat. And, and you know, if if they take that and, and, and act on it and create that page, no one's ever going to unseed them or unroot them from that, um, that top listing because they really took the time to invest in the research that went into the planning and the, the page itself and the media that, you know, the competitors just won't put the time into in terms of photos and videos mm -hmm. and expert reviewed content, right? Uh, it comes back to if you give me six hours to chop a tree down, spend five hours sharpening the axe and actually pouring money into the resources Love of it. sharpening that axe, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because right. in in like my space here where we talk about buying, most, most people are starting out, they're buying blogs and they're learning from so many people out there from YouTube videos and other podcasts to go at velocity and just create as much content as possible. And whereas Probably. if you've got a budget of say $10,000, spend that $10,000 on why don't you spend – 
your main services yeah your main category exactly exactly at start at the top and you know build out that those to be amazing um and it Mm -hmm. and you get to the point where like a lot of bloggers are just like i just want to create a lot of blogs and and get a lot of blogs on the site why not instead of creating 100 blogs the same amount of money it would cost you to create 100 blogs put that into 10 blogs and pour most of the money into competitive research and have less content that actually gets you more traffic and makes you more money it's less to manage on your own damn site right Uh just and um i I remember i was mentioning the seo expert example that site that i ranked for for seo expert had five pages on it it was top 10 the number 10 um top 10 seo tips.com if you go to archive.org and you want to look at those pages it had five pages and I ranked number one for SEO expert with mm. it uh, for 12 years up until 2000, I don't know, 15, 16, something yeah. like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's about the quality, not the quantity when it comes to content. And, um, and yeah, there's a lot that you can create as supportive content underneath the silo. Mm. Uh, like I'd mentioned earlier, don't, don't just put everything on the blog and isolate it in its own site structure and its own taxonomy, nest that evergreen content underneath that, lower funnel page that you want to rank so that that page has enough supportive content to show Google that you're not only, you know, providing more helpful content, but you're also solving more problems that your customers might have and answering questions that they might have, whether you've sourced it from, um, you know, the, the uh, search engine tool you're using or enterprise tool like SEMrush's question filter or answer the public. Uh, which Neil Patel, you know, purchased recently, or even his old tool, Uber Suggest. Um, you know, use those tools to to get ideas for questions that people have about your product and nest those underneath the the category, underneath the main topic, underneath the services page, underneath the practice area page. Don't just throw it up as a blog post. By all means, you know, if you want to create a blog about it, great, but canonicalize to that that evergreen version of it. So the evergreen version is what shows up in search, what gets found, what gets linked to, because blogs eventually kind of fade away and get you know, buried in, you know, the, the RSS feed. So use the blog for, you know, company news and um, seasonal things and things that are happening right now in your industry. Mm-hmm. Um, don't use the blog for evergreen content. By all means, curate it, your, your evergreen content with your blog if you want to, but uh, make sure that that really good, solid evergreen stuff stays as a page and that supports your, your lower funnel oh, content. Oh, I love it. That's the way we build silos and taxonomy. I love it. I love it. I had a, a friend who sold his business and then the, the company that bought his business sort of did nothing really good with it for like a couple of years and then he, okay. he had the opportunity to buy it back from them um, but said, look, I'll buy it back from you in, in equity and you pay me a wage and it worked out this really awesome deal. And they just spent a bunch of money on getting the whole site redesigned and he showed me the front page and it was just like most recent on the, on the front page, it was like really, really well laid out, but it just had like most recent posts. I said to him, look, dude, like people don't care when you come to your web, your homepage that they want to go to the most recent posts. They come into your page to find the best like help. So give them the best help with your best pages on the homepage. He's like, oh, that makes so much sense. So many like designers and stuff like that yeah, don't actually understand that, right? And then that page authority, because you've got right. so much authority going to that main domain, that page authority linking from that home page to that other site or that other page of yours has mm-hmm. that page that you've linked to has far more authority now because it's linked from right. the home page, right? Yeah, and you can see that right in Google yeah. Search Console. You can go straight to your your links 
um, section within Google Search Console and see your most linked pages. And if your most linked pages aren't the the super competitive keyword targeted pages that are on your yeah. website, then you might want to shift your internal linking strategy to focus on those. Um, I'm with you 100%. Now we do we do still leverage the homepage as as a tool when it comes to uh, expediting ranking of content we want to appear with uh, an auto repair franchise, for example. They said, how do we get our new locations to rank faster when when they do sign up with us and um, become a franchisee? Mm -hmm. How do we get them to start showing up, you know, quickly? And we say, well, let's link from the homepage to their location page so that they can pass that page rank as quickly as possible. And then once they're up there and they're they're in the top search results and the click through rates there, you know, then we can rotate in another location. And that worked really well, you know, and it works as a really good process. The first, um, it's funny, I have a, a client who every time they call troubleshooting a page, the first thing he says is, um, and yes, before you asked, I did link the homepage. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I always ask, did you link it to the homepage? So um, so that's, it's a kind of a neat little internal linking trip because most websites that link to you tend to link to your mm -hmm. homepage. So it carries the most page rank. Correct. Um, so kind of a neat little trick of the trade, but well, we really broke out of AI. We did. Let's, let's, let's move. Let's <laughs> best, move. Best practices yeah. for ACM. people are going to kill me I if I don't stick on the, on the AI route. So yeah, Tell us, tell us how you see AI playing out in the next couple of years um, with Bard and Bing and uh, how you think it will evolve for sure. us, yeah. And I know that some of this might be speculation. You might actually know things that are actually going to happen and it's not speculation. You can see a linear yeah. path to it, but I think people, people sure. are hungry to know. I think, I think movies have, have really been a... Um, you know, a prediction tool of where the world's going. You know, they started with, with Star Trek and phones and there were movies like Her, right? With, um, uh, you know, talking to to their operating system, you know, via their, their Bluetooth mm -hmm. and conversational search and voice search. You know, it, we've, we've used that. In fact, a couple, it was three years ago now that we were really trying to push this, this thing we called Vroom, right? Voice readiness, mobile, um, markup and, and measurement as, as our focus of where we should put our time and energy. And then the pandemic hit and, you know, the focus was stay alive, <laughs> keep the, get, keep the kitchen lights yeah, up, uh, yeah. on, you know? Um, but, uh, but voice isn't going anywhere and there's still voice devices, you know, that are being purchased every day. People are getting Nest devices for their homes. They're using Siri. They're, they're starting to, now they're starting to use some of these chat GPT mm. plugins to be able to use it like a voice assistant and ask questions to it and get it. So I think, I think the way AI is, is going to evolve how we search is, is now finally going to happen where we're doing more voice queries than ever. I hope it happens that way because that's, that's a much easier way to search and get the answers you want. And if you didn't get the answer you're looking for, you're going to say, give me more results. Mm. So I don't think, I don't think it's, something to worry about when it comes to, um, oh my God, our rankings are, you know, number nine right now. And now with the way that search has changed, we don't show up at all. Well, you, you still weren't showing up because no one's clicking on number nine anyway. They're clicking on the top mm -hmm. results. And if they wanted more, they're going to ask voice search in the same way that they would have used scroll, um, you know, to give them more results. So I don't, I don't feel like there's going to be this, oh my God, I disappeared because now we're, you know, we're in, in a voice search world. Uh, so I don't think I don't think that's something to worry about with AI. I also see that there's there's likely going to be a lot of websites that are going to help create ways to leverage AI in your business. I'm hoping to see this, and I'm hoping it's going to be affordable so that plumbers and florists and and doctors can go to these websites and look at ways that they can leverage 
AI technology to improve and streamline and automate their businesses. And I hope to God that they're not going to be um, extortioning businesses by forcing them into their system of doing yeah. it, but instead giving them the tools they, they need that they can own and manage and run themselves without having to pay a recurring fee to, to have access to so that those businesses can grow and improve. So I hope, I hope that communities um, evolve to help their industries, you know, use the different uh, AI tools to improve business and, and streamline things that, that a lot of us are spending redundant, exhausting, time-consuming things uh, doing um, so that we can focus our energy on what we do best in our business and worry less uh, about repetitive tasks like writing 800 meta descriptions for all the different practice areas. So I, I, think, I think that's my hope. That's where we're going to go with AI is that standards... And, and processes and things are built so that, you know, whatever industry you're in, you know where to go to get access to the, the techniques and the prompts to help improve your business. Um, but unfortunately, just like we found with all of the different automate your content now tools, and then later um, uh, verify your contents, not AI written <laughs> tools, right? Um, I hope that it, it doesn't become this big cesspool of uh, pay for use tools um, for AI, I hope instead that you know we we can be transparent and um, you know open up these tools so that we can just get better you know as as a as a world in making our businesses you know um, uh, more streamlined and more effective and more efficient. Making our products and services more valuable, right, to others. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, guys, if you haven't if you haven't checked out the first podcast that we did at one three six, it is how to double your traffic with SEO Steve. Uh, so many good things that we talked about. This is a very different episode, so I'm glad that you came on. Where can where can <laughs> of people? Happy sorry. Happy yeah, where can people find out more about you? Go to Weidman.com or. Sure. So, yeah. Well, God, you, we we're, we need to practice what we preach and get our new website launched. But no, I think the best way to find me is is in any social network. I'm I'm SEO Steve. Uh, our team here. If you want us to take a look at um, a ranking issue you're having, we'd love to help. You know, our, uh, the industry in general. As a teacher, I love to just help people. So uh, our tag is just Weideman. W i i d e m a n. We're everywhere. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable if you want to email me. I've got some folks that, that help me, you know, work through my emails. My email is just steve, S-T-E-V-E, at W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N.com. Send your question, your idea, your, um, your concept. Send it over to me. I love to, I love to talk to people. I love to help. And, um, you know, wherever we can add some value and, and collaborate and, and support each other, um, I'm all about it. Let me know how I can support you. Love it. Thanks so much. Wiedemann. It's Wiedemann. I apologize. I like we a man yeah. yeah right that's a good way to remember <laughs> yeah, sure. it i apologize for incorrectly pronouncing <laughs> pronouncing it. Yeah. no you're fine cool guys there'll be links to all of that in the show notes i'm sure we're going to get you back on again steve this is such an awesome chat so anytime yeah. cheers thanks for thanks. having me